Welcome to Let's Talk, a monthly podcast where we discuss issues pertaining to advanced practice nursing. I am your host, Wendy Carson-Smith, and today our guest is Stephen Ferrara. Stephen Ferrara is the Associate Dean of Clinical Affairs and an Associate Professor at Columbia University School of Nursing, where he oversees the Primary Care Faculty and Simulation Center. His passion for healthcare technology and evidence-based practice has earned him AANP's New York State Award for Clinical Excellence and induction as a National Academies of Pediatrics Fellow in 2018. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to talk to you, Stephen. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to be here. And you know that your introduction does not do you justice, and you are a man of many talents. So I want you you to share with my audience some of the highlights of your career. Sure, I'd be happy to. In fact, I thought that introduction was too long. (laughs) Uh, But I'm happy to give a little background of uh, where I've been and what I've done. So I am a family nurse practitioner. And, you know, my first few roles were in uh, primary care settings. Believe it or not, my first uh, role was in the correctional facility, in the county correctional facility. So that was a really interesting population working with um, underserved. And it was really a primary care role. And I did my best to provide what I could from a nurse practitioner role. I moved on uh, from there, and I was in college health. Uh, and I, I've often joked that college health and correctional health were very similar. Um, <laughs> but there, there was again, uh, uh, you know, very needy population and it was a great opportunity to teach, uh, patients who, uh, traditional college students were on their own for the first time. And, uh, I could really have an impact on teaching them on how to care for themselves and, uh, really bringing it all together. Uh, from there, I went on and uh, I was involved with uh, retail health for a little bit, the uh, Minute Clinic uh, type entity, and I was involved with that and, and then moved on to occupational health, and uh, that brought me to where I am now at Columbia, and uh, along the way, I've been involved in health policy, uh, so I was very active and still am. Uh, in my state nurse practitioner association, that's the New York State Nurse Practitioner Association, exactly. and and uh, I, I am now the executive director of of that organization, and we really uh, set out to provide education um, for nurse practitioners and also advocate for laws and uh, reducing barriers to nurse practitioner practice in, in New York State. And, and, and all, you were, all, weren't you instrumental in getting that attestation? Yes, I played a role in, in the 2015 New York State uh, Nurse Practitioner Modernization Act, and this was a law that allows nurse practitioners with more than 3,600 hours of clinical experience to no longer be required to have a written collaborative agreement with a physician. So we've come a long way. There's still a lot of work to do, but certainly um, we're making strides every day. Now, are you sure they're only 24 hours in your day? Because it sounds like, <laughs> like you're doing about 36 hours worth of work. 
worth of work yeah, some, every day. Some days are busier than others, and uh, fortunately, there's not a lot of emergencies that I'm dealing with, so I'm able to space it out and, and uh, try and do the best that I can. And, and myself, try to have the uh, you know, ideal work-life balance, which is not easy, but I try. Now, with that attestation, how is that going, and have you seen anything unusual arise as a result of this? Uh, so I think it is still uh, a work in progress. We have certainly seen nurse practitioners open up their own primary care practices and, and home care practice, uh, house call based practices across mm-hmm. New York State, but it's not perfect. And we're still actually continuing to work on that because, um, that legislation is coming up for, um, it's called the sunset, uh, yeah. which means, yeah, which means that in, um, uh, June 30th of 20, 21, the law will sunset, uh, which means it goes away, uh, unless the legislature renews it or makes it permanent. So our focus um, now, from now until then, is to make sure that the legislature ensures that it is permanent and to show all of the good work and all of the increased access to care that nurse practitioners have provided as a result of the, of the legislation. I worked on a similar piece down in Virginia, and mm-hmm. that's why I was asking about any problems arising. Have have nurses had problems getting insurance? Uh, I haven't heard that. Uh, certainly they're paying more for insurance than they ever did before, um, and that's just because there's more nurse practitioners practicing. There is greater claims as a result. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's one of the things that happens. But um, I would say we're we're cautiously optimistic. We haven't heard a lot of issues, um, and I know that uh, some of the issues have popped up in certain states when they've moved forward with you know um, changing the Nurse Practice Act in those states. But we've been fairly lucky uh, in New York. Okay. Well, with, when they're getting those, what's it, thirty? 3,600 hours. Yeah, when they're getting the 3,600 hours, are the docs requiring them to pay for collaboration? So um, nobody's requiring, um, but there certainly are some physicians who are charging, uh, you know, when a nurse practitioner doesn't have those 3,600 hours. Um, And unfortunately, there's no... um, ceiling for it. You know, there there are nurse practitioners who are being charged $500 a month. There are some who are being charged $2,000 a month. Um, and really, it, it's unfortunate that that's the way it has to be um, because they need that. Nurse practitioners need that in order to practice. Exactly. Um, and it's, it's, it's really an unfair situation, but that's that's where we are. So you know we've we've tried to minimize those number of hours that you know the transition to practice hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know legislatures uh, legislators feel comfortable knowing that you know there's this sort of ramp up time. Although being in academia now and you know mm-hmm. w- with a school of nursing, you know w- we believe that nurse practitioners uh, upon graduation are prepared to practice in exactly. today's clinical environment. So, um, 
you know, it's 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 somewhat complicated and it creates uh, lots of issues that are out there. But um, but yes, to answer your question, uh, some physicians do charge, some don't, uh, and it really depends on you know the nurse practitioner and the physician that they have the the uh, agreement with. Okay. Now, share with me a little bit about the nurse practitioner group at Columbia. Is this mm-hmm. the group that, that Dean Message started? Yes. Okay, so, great. Yeah, so this has quite the history of a faculty practice, and it started uh, back in the late 1990s. And uh, back then it was known as CAPNA, C-A-P-N-A, um, and that stood for Columbia Advanced Practice Nurse Associates. And this was, um, you know, uh, amongst the first uh, primary care nurse practitioner practices that, that existed. And, in fact, some of the data that we refer to today on nurse practitioner practice uh, was born out of, out of this practice. Uh, so it has been in Manhattan um, since, since the late 90s. And uh, over the years, it's bounced around in a few different locations, but always stayed in, in Manhattan. Um, when I um, came to Columbia in 2014, um, my charge was to expand the practice and um, and broaden uh, the number of patients we're seeing. So with that, um, we expanded uh, to a second location. So now we are we are in two physical locations. We're in Midtown Manhattan, which is uh, 51st Street and uh, which is right across the street from Radio City Music Hall. And uh, our other practice is in um, Uptown, which is uh, 168th Street, and that is, um, you know, uh, Washington Heights. It's, it's, a, it's an urban setting. Um, and, you know, these are our two locations. We offer primary care. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, our, our Washington Heights location actually has a psychiatric nurse practitioner on-site, so we, it's an integrated model with primary care and mental health. Uh, we also offer things like travel immunizations, and uh, in, in addition to travel immunizations, we do, um, you know, annual physicals and, and uh, uh, you know, the, the whole spectrum of, of okay. primary care. Primary care, yeah. Yeah. And, and how many nurse practitioners are affiliated with your group? Yeah, so we have 10 nurse practitioners who are... Uh, we call them clinical faculty, so they're clinical faculty, and uh, they're either family nurse practitioners or adult nurse practitioners, and, and along with our psych nurse practitioners. Uh, we have um, one registered nurse uh, who works with us, and she ha- happens to be a certified diabetic educator, okay. uh, and we have medical assistants and support staff as well. Oh, that's nice. Now, do your students do clinical at these sites? They do. That's a great question, and and I wish more students could uh, rotate through our through our practices. But we do certainly have um, clinical placements each semester. Um, usually, each nurse practitioner will precept one to two uh, nurse practitioner students. That's great. That's great. And yeah. tell me, um, do, does the group offer insurance? I mean, buy insurance for all the nurse practitioners. Or do they have to carry their own? Uh, so they are covered uh, with their malpractice and liability insurance under the university um, policy. Oh, so that's great. they, yeah, so they they don't need their own policy. Um, they are covered as an entity 
working within the institution. Okay, and do nurse practitioners who might leave faculty remain part of the group, or is it a requirement that they are on faculty? Right now, we require that um, you have to be currently on faculty, on staff, in order to retain those privileges. Now, tell me a little bit about your management style, because you're managing two um, separate locations, mm-hmm. and you got students coming through doing clinicals, and you probably got big patient populations because there's such a need. We certainly do. <laughs> uh, so management style is, uh, uh, well, I have wonderful practice manager uh, who does the day-to-day uh, operations. And in fact, as, I, as you were just kind of recapping my two sites, I also want to add that we have a, a virtual site in that we have a, um, a house calls practice as well. So um, we have one nurse practitioner who visits patients who are homebound and provides primary care uh, to patients who can't make it into our office. So that's that's another practice location. Um, it, third it, practice location. Yes. So it does get a little bit um, challenging, but like I said, uh, I have wonderful support staff. You know, I work closely with our program coordinators um, in the nurse practitioner program, and we make sure that, you know, Students are placed appropriately in the right setting with the right um, preceptor, and we really try to give them the best experience that they can. Um, but we have to be—I have to be flexible um, because mm-hmm. things don't go according to plan all the time. Um, and really, it's—it's—I'm I'm a strong believer in in transparency and communicating. And I think uh, as much as you communicate, uh, it seems like it's never enough. So I, I, I try my best to make sure that we have regular staff meetings, that um, uh, the nurse practitioners feel comfortable that they can speak to me, uh, you know, with any concern that they have, and whether it be email or text or in person, um, it's about being available. And, you know, I I think it's so important for us as clinicians, as nurse practitioners, that we establish rapport with our patients. Um, As a a manager, you have to uh, establish rapport with, with uh, your staff and with your faculty. So th- the same applies. Exactly. Now, with your home health practice, exactly what is it that you do in your home health practice? Do you use the technology that's currently available or are you using just the basics? So we're using really the basics. Uh, we haven't gotten into a lot of the technology of patient, remote patient monitoring, um, really it comes down to bringing a nurse practitioner into a patient's home uh, and assessing the patient, assessing their home living uh, style and their life, um, what resources they have and what they don't have. Uh, and then we, of course, keep documented, detailed documented notes in an electronic medical record, which is accessible from um, all of our clinicians can access uh, our secure um, patient record. Um, and then there's a patient portal uh, as well. So patients can log on and see their laboratory results um, and can c- communicate with us that way. We do utilize um, separate companies who will come in and uh, have lab services uh, if blood work is needed 
And there's also services for radiology, so x-rays and CAT scans in the home. Um, but when it comes to us, we're really, it's, it's the hands-on approach. Um, it's, it's, it's a very low-tech way of taking care of patients. We have the ability to bring in um, specialty if we need it, but it really, it's making sure that um, our patients are not so socially isolated and making sure that we're providing them with primary care. Now, what I called you about and what I was mm -hmm. excited about was the LGBT health services yes. that you are providing. I think mm -hmm. that's a unique service, and I want you to share some of that with us so that maybe somebody else in another jurisdiction will pick it up and, and think Absolutely. about providing these services. Yes. So um, I'll start out by saying that um, the LGBT community, we, we know this, evidence suggests that um, individuals identifying as LGBT uh, experience higher rates of depression and substance mm -hmm. use compared to heterosexuals, yet the um, uh, existing resources are limited. So um, a, a colleague of mine um, originally wrote the grant um, to HRSA uh, and uh, was able to um, become one of uh, 10 or so funded sites uh, that would align services for individuals uh, who are identifying as LGBT. So the idea is having mental health as well as physical health combined into one location. And that really played well into what we were establishing when we opened up our, our second um, nurse practitioner group location. Uh, so, so we did that, and a lot of the um, idea behind this model was to implement screening tools um, for every patient visit. So substance abuse screening as well as um, alcohol abuse uh, screening and um, depression screenings um, at every encounter. Uh, we would have a um, professional review those um, screening forms and they would work in conjunction with the nurse practitioner who was seeing them for their physical complaints and um, help to coordinate care for those who are needing mental health services as well. Um, so our first goal of, of the grant uh, was to improve access to evidence-based and culturally appropriate mental health and substance use services for LGBT adults in a nurse-led primary care center in New York City. Um, and I'm happy to say that, you know, we're now uh, three years into it and we're going to be entering our uh, fourth and final year um, in that we, we have made an impact um, in a number of individuals that have sought us out because of um, our, our, our focus and wanting to come to a, um, a practice that was well prepared to take care of, of the unique needs of an LGBT individual. Um, so that was our primary uh, objective. And then um, because we're a school of nursing and it, it, it plays very well into um, our education model is that we've exposed our nurse practitioner students 
um, to, to the model as well, oh, and offer yes, and offer them additional training and support um, in the clinical setting. So this becomes part and parcel of them taking care of patients, the wide spectrum of patients that they will see after they graduate. Uh, have you gotten any feelers from other other um, cities or, or counties or states about this program? Well, we have seen, we, um, I've spoken with other organizations um, within New York. Um, it seems a lot of individuals are, are looking to co-locate um, mental health and primary care under the same umbrella. Um, the challenge is you can't just co-locate primary care and mental health together. You really need um, regular meetings, regular huddles, yes. regular um, you know feedback so you can meaningfully interact. Um, so just putting um, a mental health provider and a, and a, and a primary care provider um, in adjacent offices doesn't solve the problem. Um, so you really need to offer more support, and that's what we've really tried to offer and anticipate. That is great. That is great. Now, are you all looking at getting some other grants in some other areas, seeing that you've done this so well? Yes. So we're always looking for, for, for grant funding. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, right now, uh, we've been looking, uh, how can we grow the house calls model, um, further, you know, so that yes. is, is definitely something that we just have one nurse practitioner doing that right now. We would love to, um, add capacity to that. Uh, we're really focusing on vulnerable populations, uh, and how can we provide Enhanced care um, to those who um, who can't necessarily uh, afford health care, and and how, what does that look like, and 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 what does that mean? Uh, because funding is very short uh, for uh, for those, and and the other big one right now that we're um, trying to see how we can play a role is in the opioid epidemic. Oh, that would be, yeah. yeah, yeah. How could we integrate? Um, medication-assisted therapy in the primary care setting. Um, it's, you know, the, the statistics are staggering mm -hmm. on, on um, opioid abuse, and uh, it's certainly something that I think nurse practitioners can and should play an enhanced role in mitigating, and, um, you know, it would be helpful if there was some funding to sort of kickstart some of, some of those efforts. I am of the generation that I remember the house calls. Mm. And so um, I think about you and also think about my friend Charmaine down in um, New Orleans. Yes, Louise, yes, yes. Yes, because, you know, that's she does that as well. Yep. So um, it is a needed service, and more importantly is that now we're starting to get reimbursement for the service. Right, and uh, that shows that it's 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 a needed service. Um, unfortunately, sometimes things follow um, uh, the the payment models. Uh, but you know, we've come a long way in the last um, you know ten years or so um, in in adequately reimbursing 
um, the the house call model. And you know, I, I I've said that healthcare doesn't take place in a in an office or in a hospital. It takes place where the people are. Um, and if you're not out in the community, if you're not out in a patient's home, you're not getting the full picture. So um, I, I do think that there's you know. Uh, uh, these areas are going to continue to grow um, for healthcare opportunities, and I think nurse practitioners need to be right there um, supporting it and, um, you know, uh, getting acquainted uh, with delivering care in what we would consider non-traditional um, settings. Are there any innovative innovation centers affiliated with the university? Because here there are a number of hospitals that are setting up these high-tech incubators. And what mm-hmm. I'm finding is that there are not that many nurses involved in in their processes, and I don't understand why, because nurses are so knowledgeable of what yeah. happens at the bedside. So I was wondering, because yeah. you all have been such innovators at Columbia, whether or not you you have um, you have a tech center there. Yeah, so we do. It's not run out of the School of Nursing, but there is a Columbia University-wide um, uh, venture. Uh-huh. And and it's funny you mention this because th- this is something that uh, recently I started looking into and said we need to be more more uh, attuned with this and we need to become more involved with it. So So I would agree with your assessment that nursing for some reason – has not been um, uh, front and center in that, but I- I've been seeing a lot of, um, uh, uh, you know, on social media, I've been seeing um, people very interested in this field, nurses inter- in- interested in this field, and I think we will be making much more of an effort to, to become involved with it. But so, so as of right now, it's, it's, it's very uh, minimal involvement, but it is an area where uh, we know that we can contribute um, in a meaningful way to help, you know, our patients, to help the healthcare system. And, uh, you know, I think it's an exciting time uh, to, to be involved in healthcare because there are lots of innovations and, and, you know, kind of thinking out of the box because clearly what we've been traditionally doing doesn't work. Um, it's expensive, it's wasteful, and we need to be more efficient as a healthcare system. Exactly. Now, like your predecessors, do you teach a course there as well? You- yeah, <laughs> I, I, I do. I do. Um, I teach the health policy course to the um, doctor of nursing practice students. Okay. And, um, and, and I, I really, really enjoy it. Um, it's an opportunity to talk about current events. It seems like there's always a current event that's related to healthcare policy these days, whether it's you know, talking about the opioid epidemic or talking about single-payer universal health care. Um, it really is, um, I, I enjoy the class. Um, it, it's a rich conversation um, and really, again, um, making sure that and giving permission for nurse practitioners uh, to be leaders in this area and to make sure that their voices are heard when it comes to um, health policy in particular. Okay. In the past, you've written about supporting NP residencies. Do you mm-hmm. still feel they are needed and a viable option for NPs? 
And if so, what strategies are you do you believe are necessary for funding uh, residencies? I read about someone who is trying to use technology to properly match nurse practitioners mm -hmm. to residency opportunities, but of course they want to charge nurses. So, th so this is a, a loaded question, <laughs> and um, <Of> <laughs> and and one that you know is there's much debate about. Um, I will say this: uh, I don't think a residency is should be required for licensure. Okay. Um, so I think nurse practitioners should go to nurse practitioner school, um, do their clinical hours, and and get licensed by by the states in which they're they're going to practice in. But I do think that there is a um, uh, an area for you know what we would think of for a residency, and really I'm seeing that as as a, an extended orientation, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, healthcare, the system is complex. Patients are complex, and there's really no way um, someone could get up to speed that quickly and take on that much responsibility. So, so what I do, what I think is that settings are important. So you can have nurse practitioners working in a federally qualified health center, and they're going to be dealing with um, issues that are different than um, a nurse practitioner say, in a um, women's health practice, you know, and only women's health practice. So, so I think it, it involves, um, you know, an extended orientation, um, getting acclimated and getting paid um, while you're in that position as a, as, a nurse, as a newly licensed and graduate nurse practitioner. One of the challenges, of course, is that when we think of the traditional residency, we think of the physician residency. And the physician residency is funded through CMS for the Centers for Medicaid, Medicare and Medicaid. Mm -hmm. um, and Medic, you know, those dollars are, is, are, are funding those residencies. Um, and it happens and that's what, it, what everybody does and that's what everybody accepts. The challenge for nurse practitioners is that there is no uh, equivalent funding source. Um, so there have been small pilot studies and small pilot grants that have founded some residencies for, you know, new, new graduate nurse practitioners to acclimate them into their, into their setting. Um, but unfortunately, those funds are very, very limited. So I know there have been efforts to expand that, um, but whenever you're asking for more money, it becomes a challenge. Um, but I do think that there's a role for um, an enhanced um, orientation where you're really getting um, a lay of the land and you're getting acclimated to the patient population that you're going to be seeing. Um, so uh, it's, it, it, it's a tough area because um, I think as, as nurse practitioner, at least students, you know, from, from novices, everybody always feels like they, they want more, you know, oh, I, I, I want to learn more. Um, they don't realize you, you know a lot, a lot more than, than you think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that proficiency comes with experience. And I think having an, um, uh, a mechanism to get some experience while you're still not at a full uh, uh, patient load and a full patient panel, I think that there's, there's an advantage to that. Um, so I think we will continue to see these 
um, debates on residencies and how are they funded and um, it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the next you know few, few years. Now, where do you see the future of nurse 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 practitioner practice? Where do you think we're going? That's a good question. Um, well, I, I think we are poised um, to you know con- continue seeing greater numbers in primary care. Um, you know, not everybody understands primary care, at least from a patient perspective, um, and it has to do with a lot of insurance companies have changed the rules of the game. You know, back in the day, you need needed to see your primary care provider so you could get a referral to go to the specialist. Um, you know, and then with, with the changing insurance companies, um, you didn't need to see your primary care provider anymore, and you could just pick up the phone and go see your dermatologist. Um, when probably your primary care provider could have treated that 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 ailment, um, and that led to increased costs, right? So that so yeah. people bypassing their primary care provider, going straight to the specialist, um, did increase costs. But I do see nurse practitioners um, sort of reimagining and, and, and reinvigorating the primary care role. And it's not going to be in the traditional sense that, that we know. I think we're going to see the telehealth options. I think we're going to see um, a lot of population health management strategies. How do we take care of populations? How do we look at all of this data that's coming from our um, uh, uh, electronic medical records? People are wearing devices that are giving us so much more data than we had before. The challenge is how do we make sense of it and how do we use this in a meaningful way to improve the lives of our patients and decrease costs. So I, I, I think um, there's, the, there, there's challenges in front of us. I, I think nurse practitioners have and always will step up to the plate to take on these challenges, and I, I want to make sure that nurse practitioners are part of these conversations um, and, and speaking with key legislators or with, with um, healthcare leaders to make sure that um, they understand the role that nurse practitioners could and should be playing um, uh, when it comes to, to, to patient care. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. I'm sure my audience will love listening to uh, this podcast. And if they have questions, can we come back and ask you some questions later? Um, Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to answer questions. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. That's right. So Share I'm... it with them because I want them to know where to find you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great. So so my Twitter, uh, I, I am an active tweeter. Um, so it's at, at Stephen NP, and it's Stephen, it's S-T-E-P-H-E-N, and then NP, all one one word. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, you know, you can find me at Stephen Ferrara, and, um, you know, those are where I, I, you know, spend most of my, my social media time, but certainly um, you could look me up on the Columbia University um, School of Nursing uh, faculty website. I believe that there's a link there to my email address, and I'm happy to answer any questions or to try and help um, someone else out uh, and sort of 
um, continue the work that we need to do. Well, thank you again to our guest, Stephen Ferrara, for joining us. If you have enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a positive rating on Apple Podcasts. We can also be heard on Blog Talk Radio, and we are going to offer snippets to you on YouTube. So we, we are starting a Let's Talk channel on YouTube. So Wonderful. Let's Talk is a part of Carson Company, a nurse consulting and social media firm. If you'd like to know more about us at Carson Company or Let's Talk, please visit us at carsonco.net. C-A-R-S-O-N-C-O dot net. We'll be back next month with another episode. And thank you again, Stephen Ferraro, for joining us. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure.